We're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. We're teaching through the book of Acts in this youth group right now on Sundays and Wednesdays. If you're part of the Wednesday night crew, this is actually the same passage that Josh White taught last time, but I'm teaching it again because there's other things I felt like I wanted to bring out of it. If you're not a part of the Wednesday night crew, this will be just the continuation of what we learned last week. So let's pray. We'll jump right into it. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much for your word, for your love, for your power, for your grace. We need it in our lives so much. God, I pray that we wouldn't just be a room full of students, but we'd be a room full of followers, a room full of people who love you with their whole hearts, minds, souls, everything, God. We give this time to you as we study your word. We love you. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, I taught this study a long time ago when some of you guys were in middle school, and when I pulled up the message, I saw the title was Church on Fire, and my mind immediately went to the fact that there's really nothing worse than an uncontrolled fire. We're seeing right now in Northern California, uncontrolled fire just ripping through the the countryside, devastating people's homes, people's families. I, when I was preparing this study, the death toll was at 29. It's up to, I think, about 45 right now. Um, thousands of homes have been damaged, businesses and other buildings. It's, it's been terrible. My friend Jason Mead, he was a high school counselor in this youth group back when I was in high school. His family home that he lived in his entire life is now completely gone, um, just devastated. Um, I know the Carters, uh, Dylan and Miles, their grandparents' home has been destroyed up in Clear Lake. And it's, it's, the terrible truth is, just as destructive as a real fire is, Satan's goal is to bring destruction to our lives. He, he wants to come like a fire and spread quick and, and, and fast and just come into our life and destroy all that he can. Here's the difference, though. A controlled fire can be a good thing. Like every Wednesday night, we have a controlled fire. It's in a fire pit or in a fireplace when you're, or in your, when you're cooking in your oven. Fire can be something that's beneficial. It warms. Or if you're in the darkness and you're carrying around a lamp, it illuminates your path. And today, I want to share with you guys what it looks like when the church catches on fire. Not literally. We don't want this room to catch on fire. But... It's a controlled fire by the Holy Spirit, and it's powerful, and it's intense. It's called Pentecost, and it happened on an amazing day in the church's history. If you've been going with us through this series, we're in the book of Acts, and it's basically how the church started. When Jesus died and then came back from the dead, it's how the church got on its feet in the early age. So if you're in Acts chapter 2, you can read with me. Here's what it says. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So Pentecost, what is that? It's a harvest festival that the Jews had. It was basically the festival of your first fruits. Here's what it means. If you're a farmer, when Pentecost came along, you went to the temple and you brought your first fruits, the, the first crops that you grew. If you're a shepherd, you know, you go to Pentecost and you bring, you know, the best first sheep. It was basically Thanksgiving for the Jews, and the whole goal was they got together to give thanks to God. It's a Jewish event, and Jews from all over the world would come to this. They would gather together, and they would come on boats. They would make a long journey, and Jews that were all throughout different parts of the world would travel to this place, 
And now we're going to see that God has a plan. There's a purpose why all these Jews are coming here. So in the beginning, the church is gathered. These are the 12 disciples. It's about 120 people. I think the amazing thing about the early church is, I mean, this is, this is a super cheesy joke, but just bear with me, okay? This is where my brain went. 120 people is how the church started. 12 people, and then it, it turned into 120. That's who's praying up there. How, how many characters are like in a tweet? It's 140, right? So God is working with less than a tweet, basically, to start the church. Like, this is who he has. It's only 120 people. It'd be like if, it'd be like if we were the early church, like the people in this room. What are we, like 30 people in this room, maybe? That's what they're dealing with. And they're up in an early, they're up in a room, and they're praying, and they're waiting for the promise of the Spirit. They're waiting for God to show up, and he does. He explodes onto the scene. Look at verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And then they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. This is just, it's sudden, it's instant. When me and Brooklyn were in Ireland, uh, we were in this town called Dublin. Everyone knows Dublin. Um, like, oh, you know, this little town that no one knows. It, it was Dublin. So we're in Dublin. We're going to get some ice cream. There's a little frozen gelato place called Gino's that literally will blow your mind if you ever go to Europe and have it. It's amazing. So we were there getting it with this pastor and missionary family. When we're, we're walking, it's a sunny day. Everything's great. The sky is blue and clouds are gone and it's just it's this perfect day and literally we're walking down the street and like within two seconds it was like 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 rain in my face at like a 45 degree angle just slamming into my face and like these crazy violent winds and I was just like I was like what the heck like in Vista if it's gonna rain I feel like the rain takes like like two hours to like warm up like like you know rain is coming in Vista it's not random in Ireland it literally will just hit you in the face that's what's going on here they're up in this room and all of a sudden the spirit shows up and it's like this mighty rushing wind comes into the room imagine we're sitting here in like just having a church service when all of a sudden wind starts blowing through the room like a violent crazy hurricane wind and then all of a sudden little fireballs start appearing over people's heads you're looking at Justin and there's a fireball just right over his head and you're like what Christians like like freaking out that's exactly what you do Christian you would freak out at that fireball and I would love to see it that's what happens crazy stuff so what does it mean here's what it means we're gonna look at different things that the spirit brings the first thing the spirit brings is a new heart sometimes God works in a still small voice other times it's like crazy mighty wind this is God giving his spirit and you have to understand like this is something that God is stoked about this is a gift like a good parent loves to give a good gift. On Christmas morning, a good parent is just like so excited for their kid to open up that present. That's where God the Father is here. He's been waiting forever to give his spirit to his people. He is so excited. And it, it was a gift that the disciples had been waiting for their entire lives. Picture this, okay? How many of you guys in your life feel like at some point in your life, God has spoken to you. Anybody? Quick, quick show hand. You feel like God's spoken to you? Okay, so the Jews in this day, they went through a period called the 400 years of silence. What that was, was basically 400 years where God didn't speak to anybody. 
where there was no word from the Lord, where God did not show up. And then Jesus shows up and changes everything. We said in this group before, Jesus was the word of God. That means Jesus was God's statement. Jesus is what God had to say. Jesus shows up and changes everything. He's like, hey, I've got a new way to live. I've got a new way to be. Here's how you love your neighbor. Here's how you love your enemy. Here's how you pray for those who persecute you. Here's how you walk in the kingdom. It's, it's all these amazing things. And the Jews were seeing in Jesus prophecies come true. And now, right now in Acts, we're seeing prophecies, age-old prophecies come true. Look at this. This is the prophecy in the book of Joel. It says, um, then you, they're talking about the last days. Joel says, then you shall know, he speak, this is God speaking, then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My king my, or my people shall never be put to shame. This is amazing. Like, you guys probably don't, like, you're like, whatever. Like, what does this prophecy even mean? Listen, what this prophecy means, it was God saying to his people, one day I'm going to be with you. How many guys are happy that God is with you, that you know that you're carrying God in your heart wherever you go? They didn't have that back then. They couldn't experience that back then to know that God was with them. This is the prophecy. One day God will be with his people. The spirit comes and suddenly God is with his people. Jesus, remember, he was with the 12 disciples, but then he died. So they're like, oh no, Jesus is no longer with us. But Jesus promises the spirit and he says, because the spirit is with you, I am with you. So then, here's another prophecy. This is uh, Joel 2.28. It's talking about the promise of God's spirit being poured out. Remember, Joel was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus even showed up. This is God speaking through Joel. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see dreams and your young men shall see visions. This is the day this is happening. This prophecy in Joel right now is coming true with the 12 disciples and the 120 disciples gathered in the upper room. The spirit comes and it fills people and it gives them a new heart and a new mind. It gives them power. It gives them the ability to speak prophecy. Um, we did a, while I was gone, a Gifts of the Spirit series. Here's what prophecy is. A lot of people think prophecy is like just talking about the future, like one day, Macy is going to step on a bug. Oh, she just did. It came true. Like, that's, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's not, that can be prophecy. But I don't, think, I don't think God's concerned about Macy stepping on bugs. But <laughs> here is what prophecy a lot of the times is. It's God speaking. It's just God speaking through somebody. Like, when I stand up here to speak, I hope I'm being prophetic. Here's what I mean by that. I hope that God gives me a message and I get up and I share it directly to you. Did you know that you can prophesy? Like, what, is this, what does this verse say? It says that God's spirit will come and God's people will prophesy because they have the spirit. Okay, listen, I'm not, I'm not gonna ask you to show your hands, but have you ever had a moment where you feel like God said to you, hey, I want you to go to them and, and say something. I want you to go and share something with them. I, I have a word on your heart that now you go share with your friend. Did you know that when you do that, that's, that's prophecy. That's you speaking something from God. We're given a new heart, and we're able to speak words that come from God. We're, Christians are not passive, 
okay? Christians are not, like, think about football. A lot of you guys play football. Christians are not called to sit on the sidelines. Christians are called to be involved in the game. We're players. God has given us his spirit, and we are able to speak things from God's heart to one another and to the world. Now, Israel knew that they needed a new heart. They knew that their heart was broken. Moses told them, without new hearts, you'll never be able to obey God, and you'll never be able to love God. How many guys remember in the book of Judges when we went through it, they went through that that thing called the sin cycle? So what was the sin cycle? It was Israel was in trouble. A kingdom was attacking them. Evil people were coming against them. So then they cried out to God. God delivered them. They said, praise the Lord. But then they looked over and they saw something sinful and they said, that looks sweet. And they went back to it. And then the next thing they know, the cycle repeats and all of a sudden they're in bondage and slavery again. And I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like the cycle that I have repeated in my life several times. I'm in, a, I'm in trouble. I cry out to God. I say, rescue me. He does. I'm like, this is great. I love the Lord. And then I get sucked into sin. It's, it's constantly something that we do. We all have sin nature. Like, we, how many of you guys, like, you don't need to show your hands, but how many of you guys are rebellious, okay? Like, yeah. Well, okay, so, yeah, a few people raising hands. I can be, like, yeah, I know I'm your pastor, but, like, there's something in me that, like, wants to rebel. I'll give you an example of a really stupid way I rebel. Like, like I know some of you guys are, like, you know, train robbers or whatever. Like, that's your rebellion. But, you know, like, old-timey train robbers. You know, you've got the bandana and the gun. I don't, I don't know. But, um... There's a lot of us who, like, we rebel about really stupid things, and that's, that's me. Um, I was in Ireland, and there's this Mexican restaurant called Boojums. <laughs> I don't know what Boojums means. I, I looked it up, and it's like some ancient Mexican tree, like where spirits hung out. I don't know. <laughs> that's a weird place to get burritos, the spirit tree. But I went into this burrito place, and there's, like, this Greek guy. I'm in Ireland getting Mexican food with like a Greek guy running the place, which was great. So it's just like, you know, this hairy bearded Greek guy sitting there making the food. And I just needed to use the bathroom. So I walked in. I was going to ask for permission to use the bathroom, but the, the guy making the food was in the kitchen. I didn't want to wait because I had to go. So I literally just like went for it. Like I just walked straight towards the restroom, used the restroom, got back out. The guy comes up to me and he's like, what are you doing? You, you come into my, my restaurant and you, you use the bathroom and you don't buy food. What is this? And I was like, I am so uh, sorry, man. And he's like, you need to ask. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And I left. And I was like, oh, that was so disrespectful. Like, I didn't care about his rules. I was just like, whatever, man. I needed to do what I had to do. And I did it. And that's a rebellion. Like, it's just we all fight against it. This rebellion against any and all authority to follow any rules, we all deal with it. It's sin nature. From early age, you struggle with it. I have never met a kid who had to be taught how to lie or steal or hurt anybody. Can we also talk about how babies are jerks? Like, babies are jerks. Any of you guys have baby siblings? They're jerks, right? Like, they're, they're going to the bathroom everywhere, and they just expect everyone to take care of it. They'll punch you, and they don't care. You walk over, and you're like, hi, and they'll just scream at you. Like, if adults did that, you'd be like, go to jail. Like, you're a bad person. That's what I say to anybody who's a bad person. I just walk up. I'm like, go to jail. Babies are jerks. Anyway, here's another prophecy, okay? In the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, there's a guy who has this trippy vision named Ezekiel, right? Name of the book. Not, no surprise there. <laughs> so he goes, 
and he sees in his vision this pile of dry skeleton bones. And he's like, well, this is weird, a bunch of skeleton bones. And then God speaks, and he's like, I need to bring new life into these bones. And then this wind comes down, swoops down, and all of a sudden the bones come to life, and they start dancing around. So, like, if I had that dream, I'd be like, God, do you hate me? Why am I having this dream? But the point of the dream was it was an image of God's people, Israel. They had become like dry bones. They had no life in them. Remember in the book of Genesis, when God makes Adam, what does he do to bring life in him? He breathes his breath, his ruach, the wind of the Holy Spirit into Adam, and he becomes this living man. Israel had become this nation that had fallen apart, and so God said, you need my wind of my spirit to make your dry bones come alive. And that's what we need, honestly. In our life right now, we need fresh, constant fillings of the Spirit. We talked last week about what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's where you ask God for a filling of your spirit and, and, I, and I, or a filling of his spirit. And I love what Josh White said on Wednesday night. He said that the filling of the Holy Spirit, when you ask God to fill you with his spirit, it's not you getting more of the spirit. It's the spirit getting more of you. It's you saying, God, I want you to have more of my life. I want to surrender more to you. Guys, if we are yielded to the Spirit, if we're given to the Spirit, the reality is we will be changed. And I just want to say really quick, honestly, we need to ask for help for our unbelief. There was a man that Jesus went to one day, and he had a relative who was sick. I think it was a son or daughter. And he cried out to Jesus, and he was like, Jesus, heal my son and daughter, please. And Jesus was like, I can do that. And the man's like, God, I know you can do it. I believe, but help my unbelief. I struggle. Even though, Jesus, you're here and I've heard you've done great miracles, I struggle with this unbelief. Some of you, you struggle with unbelief. Like, honestly, if you're really honest with yourself, some of you guys here in this room, you don't expect God to do great things. You don't. You don't expect that God can do amazing things in this group, in your life, in your school. Like, maybe you've given up. And I can be the same way. Again, I don't ever preach anything I don't need to hear, okay? Wednesday night, I was studying this passage. I was going to teach this passage Wednesday night. And I felt like God was leading me to show, instead of me teach, have a video of Josh White teach. Josh White is a pastor who I appreciate and love. He spoke at camp. And, and, and I feel like that was from the Lord. I feel like God said, you know what, Aaron, I know you want to teach this passage, but instead show this video. But my brain immediately went to like things like, well, that's lazy. That's like lazy of me not to study and let someone else teach. That, that's lazy. God wouldn't want me to do that. And then I started to think like, well, you know, I mean, Josh is, you know, he, he's, he doesn't really talk to high schoolers. He talks to adults. So that might be hard for some of them. And I don't know. And so I started doubting. And then I was like, I don't know if God can use a video. Like, I feel like it'd be better if there was somebody there teaching. And, and I really started to doubt. And then I just felt bad. I felt like I was being a bad youth pastor for showing a video instead of teaching. And the Lord was just like, why are you doubting my ability to work through this video? Like, why do you think it has to be you getting up and speaking? Why do you have so little faith that I'm telling you what to do? And I remember we watched the video, and the whole time I was like, is anyone even getting anything out of this? I know I am, but, like, I don't know if they are. And afterwards, I was talking to a few guys in my small group, and, like, one of the guys was like, oh, my gosh. 
Like, I was having issues with bitterness, and now they're completely gone. Like, God changed my heart. I came here, and 45 minutes later after the study, my heart is completely different. And I was just like, that's awesome. Like, that's how God works. His spirit does amazing things like that all the time. But do we honestly trust him to do it? Here today, are you showing up with a heart? God, speak to me. Like, speak to me. God, actually change my heart. Do you have the confidence that he can? Do I? Standing up here preaching, do I have the confidence that my words are not just my words, but it's the Holy Spirit? That's something I have to ask God for all the time, if I'm just honest with you. There's times I get up here, and I'm like, I don't know if anyone's going to get anything. But when God speaks to me, he says, Aaron, trust me. I am speaking. I am here. I want to change hearts and minds. Why do we doubt the Spirit? The, The Spirit desires to change us. My question for you guys is, will you let him? You know, I only have four years with you guys, and then, you know, like, I like to think of this as a church sometimes, but most churches, people stay longer than four years. You guys are here, and then you leave, and you either go in there, or you go off to college, and you go to other churches. That's just the reality. Here's what I hope. I hope that you look back on youth group, and you say, not, it was a good time. I had a lot of fun with friends. The pastor was sometimes funny, sometimes serious. It was, it was great. I hope you look back on this time and you say, this is a time where Jesus transformed me. I hope when you look back on these four years you were at this church, in this group, you look back and you say, this was a transformative time where Jesus came into my heart and changed things around. If not, then what are we doing? Transform people, transform the world. That's the reality. And, and, you know, in the story, you've got the flames over the head, right? The flames show up, and it's like, oh, look at these flames. The flames wasn't the point. The point was you could look at these guys, and you could tell that something was different. And I think that would be great, honestly, if, like, every Christian had a little flame over their head, because then we'd know. You'd go out street witnessing, you'd be like, that dude does not need to hear the gospel because he has a fireball over his head. That'd be great. Or maybe all Christians should just wear take-hold hats, maybe, from camp. I don't know. But anyway... The point is not the flames on the head. The point is that you could tell something was different. I love this quote from Samuel Chadwick. It's a great name. He says this, Spirit-filled souls are ablaze for God. They love with a love that glows. They serve with a faith that kindles. They serve with a devotion that consumes. They hate sin with a fierceness that burns. They rejoice with a joy that radiates. Love is perfected in the fire of God. I love that. Let's go to the next thing. The Spirit builds a new temple. Let's look at verse 4 says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now listen, before we talk about tongues, and we'll get to tongues, like well, some of you guys here who like, if you're not church people, you're like, the gift of tongues, like what the heck? Like, isn't it like, like they, someone gave them a box, and they opened it, and it was a tongue, and it's like, am I in a cult? What is this? There's fireballs over my head, there's tongues in gift boxes, I don't understand. Anyway, okay, this is amazing. Let's go back to what it said. What did it say? Verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't miss this. It talks about them being filled with the Spirit. Why is this important to you and to me? Well, in the Old Testament, 
In the Old Testament, when, a, when something was filled with the Spirit, it wasn't usually a person, it was a place. What we're looking at is a picture of temples and tabernacles. These were places back in the day, back in the early parts of the Bible. If you wanted God to show up, he couldn't just show up in your life, he had to show up in a building. You had to build a temple or a tabernacle, which was a building that had specific instructions. The wood has to be cut like this. There has to be gold. It has to be decorated just like this. There was all these rules, and then God would show up. But when Jesus shows up, he says something completely crazy. He says, actually, my body is the temple. Jesus looks at the the temple in Israel, and he says, hey, Destroy this temple, and three days I will raise up an even better one. He's talking about his body. Do you see? Think of it this way. The temple in the Old Testament was the place where God's presence was. Like you walked into the room, and you could just feel God's presence, okay? But you had to go there. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, I don't want you to have to go somewhere to feel God's presence. I want to bring God's presence to you. And so Jesus says, I am the temple. So that's why, guys, it's crazy. Like, like I hope you realize this. You don't have to show up here today to meet God. God is with you. You don't come here to meet with God. You come here to hear from God. You come here so that you can be with other Christians and get encouraged and built out to go and follow God better, but you don't have to come here to be with God. He is with you always. If you have his spirit, he is with you always. It's the temple. And in the Bible, God says that you, the followers of God, are the new temple. So Jesus says, my body is the temple. What does Jesus say about you and me? He says, you are the what of Christ? The body. You're the body of Christ. And in the Bible, it depicts the body of Christ as this this river, okay, of God's presence that flows through the world and fills people with God's presence. What does a river do, right? A river, if you've got a garden next to a river, if you've got grass and trees, the river brings nutrients and life and creation to that garden. In the Old Testament, you've got the Garden of Eden. Guys, the point of the Bible is about all of this going back to the garden one day, about a new heaven and a new earth. You guys right now, we're in the stream. We're in the stream of God's spirit. And as we live our life, as you go to school, you are called not to go to school and be somebody who's outside of that stream. You're called to be somebody who goes and brings that water of life to everyone you come in contact with. I hope you understand that your main purpose of being in school right now is not to get good grades so that you can have the best college with the best job and get a house with two boats because you gotta have two boats and like all the motocross motorcycles you want and like every video game system and just like duh, like everything you want in your life, right? That's not the point. The point, like that stuff, I mean, if God blesses you, that's great. Like I'm still waiting for my million dollars. It's not coming, probably. Never, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be poor forever. But you know what? I don't care because God's spirit is with me and he has a purpose and a plan for my life. You're, the point that you are in school right now, it's not just for those grades and that future. It's about the present. It's about how are you showing others who Jesus is. People used to come to the temple. Now we bring the temple to people. I love this chart from the Bible Project. It shows the cross 
as the place where God's presence breaks into the messiness of sin, and then from out of the cross, little pockets of heaven enter into the darkness of earth. That's, this, this is like, just keep, I would say keep this chart in your mind. Keep this picture in your mind. As you go into school, think of it as I am a missionary for the kingdom of heaven, bringing the kingdom into the places of darkness in my school. Guys, you have, it's, uh, you have a mission. Don't live your life in a way where you don't recognize that your job is to be the temple where you bring God's presence to people. We need to let the spirit flow free in our life. Honestly, I've been, I've been trying way too hard in my flesh as a youth pastor. If I'm just being honest with you guys, over the years, especially the last two years, I've been trying way too hard to like prep the most perfect Bible studies. We're just like, every word is perfect and I've studied and I've, I've like PowerPoints for like every single slide and everything looks great. Uh, Josh, something that Josh said on Wednesdays really convicted me. He said, you know, the spirit is speaking, but have we given him the microphone? If I've been honest, there's been times lately where I have everything so planned up here that I get up to speak and there's really no room for the Holy Spirit to come in and change what I have to say or direct me to say anything different. And I, I love that, what Josh said. Is the Spirit, the Spirit is speaking, have we given him the microphone? It'd be like, sometimes as Christians, we can be people who we don't allow the Spirit to speak or move. It'd be like if I was like, guys, uh, where, Brant's, are you here? Where's Brant? It'd be like, guys, Brant's has a great story to share with you guys. This amazing testimony, it's gonna blow your mind. It's gonna be so good. And then I like, I didn't invite Brant's up. And I just kept talking, and Brant's would be sitting there like, I was going to tell this story about my pet hamster that changed my life. I don't know. Sorry. Do you have a pet hamster? You did. Did it change your life? Did it die? Wow. It's deep. <laughs> anyway, what I'm saying is there's times in our life where we don't really leave room for the Spirit. I would encourage you, for you, find out what that means, to leave room in your life for the Spirit to speak, for the Spirit to move, for the Spirit to direct. The early church was united. Like, it says they were all together in unity, like one purpose, one vision. Let me, let me ask you guys this. Like, imagine if everybody here in the youth group was here for the same reason. Like, some people are here because, you know, your crush is here. And you're like, oh, man, my crush. Got to make sure they see me being a good Christian man or a solid Christian girl going to church. Some of you guys here are here because your parents forced you to. They're like, get up. You're like, no, I don't want to. I stayed up all night playing that game where you craft mines or, or mine crafts. I don't know. Does anyone even play that anymore? I don't know. That was junior high. Some of you guys are here because you like the community. Some of you guys are here because you like the cookies and the iced coffee. Some of you here are because you like the Bible study. I hope, I hope. But imagine, imagine what if the reason all of us came here was for the same reason, and that was because we really wanted Jesus to show up in our life and change us, to transform us and fill us and send us back out in the world to make an impact for him. Is that the number one thing on your mind right now? If not, let's pray that it would be. Guys, let's pray for the Spirit to unify us. Without the Spirit, the church is not unified, and it doesn't have the ability to communicate the truth of who Jesus is to the world. A guy named John Wesley, who had a sweet wig, 
a, a sweet wig. He says this. So this is a guy from the Methodist Church. And again, if you're not somebody who's into like different denominations, I mean, I'm a part of Calvary Chapel, but I look at different denominations like Baptists and Lutherans and Methodists as they're, they're a part of our family. The church is one big family. We have different beliefs of things sometimes, just like when you sit at Thanksgiving, you know, your crazy Uncle Joe might have some different beliefs than you do about things, but that's okay. You're still family, okay? So this guy's a Methodist, and he's talking about the Methodist movement. He says this, my fear is not that our great movement known as the Methodists will eventually cease to exist or one day die from the earth. My fear is that our people will become content to live without the fire, the power, the excitement, and the supernatural element that makes us great. Such a good quote. Are we living, guys, here at Hope's Anchor, youth group, right? Are we living without the fire that brings us to a place where we're passionate about the Lord. Now listen, here's, like, let me explain what this means, okay? Like, don't think, like, I go home, and, like, every day that I'm home, I'm just like, praise the Lord, oh, my soul, every day, every moment. Like, I don't watch TV, I don't get on my phone, I don't do, I just sit in my room, and my wife's like, let's go on a date. I'm like, no, I'm praying, woman. Like, that's, that's not how, no, that's not how it works. Like, that's not what it means to be fired up about the Lord, where it's, like, literally, like, you're just, like, sitting in your room singing the same worship song over and over again. To be fired up for the Lord means that you have a heart that says, God, what do you want? In my city, in my school, in my family, in my life, what do you want? God, bring it. Are you praying that? God, bring what you want. Do what you want. Your will be done. Is that your prayer constantly? When we pray that, and that's a scary prayer, like, you know what's a prayer that's really easy? Lord, bless me. Lord, bless this food. Lord, bless my day. Lord, I have a test coming up today. I didn't study. It would be ever so great if you could just let me ace that thing. Thanks, Lord. God, I'm on the football team. And I know the other team is Christians, but I think if we just pray harder, we'll win the game. <laughs> How does that work, by the way? If you've got two Christian schools playing, you got like you know what I mean, football guys. You you got two Christian schools. They're both praying that they win. Is does the team that prayed like if that team wins, are you like oh they they prayed harder than us guys? We gotta we gotta make sure we do a worship session before our next game. Like who is that? How it works? I didn't. I wasn't on the football team, so I don't know. I showed up for the first day of practice, no joke, and my coach was like run, and I was like yeah I will away, and I ran away, and I never came back. Anyway. I don't even know what I'm talking about, so let's move on now. <laughs> that train of thought went. Last point. The Spirit gives a passion for witness, for sharing the gospel. Let's, let's look at verse 4 through the end of the chapter, okay? Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed. And they were like, look, aren't these guys Galileans? How is it they can all speak and we hear them in our own language? That's bizarre. We're Perinthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia and Judea, uh, places I can't pronounce, Egypt, I know that one, Asia, that's one I also know, Rome, okay, people from all over, and they're like, we are all from different places, there is a group of people, and they're all talking at the same time, and we can understand them, this should not be happening, this is very strange, um, then, 
Verse 11, it says, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what the heck does this mean? Verse 13, but some mocked them, and they were like, these guys are drunk. These guys are straight up drunk. And I don't have this verse in my notes, but I, in a few verses later, if you read down, it, Peter makes a great joke. He's like, hey, guys, we're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Who gets drunk at 9 o'clock? That's for later in the day. What are you talking about? Um, and I also love how um, we watched a video in junior high where Peter gets up after that. And he's like, oh, yeah, guys, because being drunk totally makes you speak in different languages, right? It's, it's great. Sarcastic Peter's great. Anyway, here's the thing. These guys are yielded to the Spirit. They're given to the Spirit. They're sitting in the room. They're like, God, what do you want? What do you want? God, what do you want? Show me what you want. Give me what you want. God, what do you want? And God's like, here's what I want. You're speaking Spanish. You're speaking Hebrew. You're speaking French. You're speaking German. And everyone's just like, like talking at the same time. If you were in that room, you'd be like, this is insane. What is going on? Like, just, just imagine for a second that we're, I'm like, okay, guys, we're going to pray for a move of the Spirit. God, whatever you want, just do it right now. And then, like, all of a sudden, we're, we start talking, and, like, like, everyone is speaking in a different language, and we're all just like, like, you would be like, what is church? I'm going to a different church. This is, what? what? Like, I would be scared, honestly. I think some people were probably scared. But listen, there was a point there was a point, there was a reason why God did this. And before I get to it, I'm going to preface it with this, this quote by another guy with a great wig, Charles Wesley, John Wesley's brother, actually, who said, catch on fire with enthusiasm and people will come for miles to watch you burn. God's people were given to God. They're sitting there up a room and all of a sudden they're speaking in these different languages and here is what happens. They become witnesses. They become witnesses because during that day there is a festival going on where God knows there are going to be Jews from all over the world. Jews who were you know, in their blood, they were Jewish, but they grew up in Asia or they grew up in the Middle East, which is all of Israel. So that doesn't count. But they grew up in, you know, places like Rome and, and places all over. I mean, there's a list. These were people who were Jewish by blood, but they grew up in other cultures and spoke other languages. And so when they show up, they're like, I am hearing the gospel in my own language. There's a group of 120 people. They're all talking at the same time. And somehow we are all hearing this message in our own language. That's insane. That's God's missionary spirit to make people a witness. What is a witness? It's someone who testifies of what they have seen. If you witness a car accident, you are a witness. You've seen it happen. The spirit wants us to witness about what we have witnessed. How many of you guys have seen God do great things in your life? You've seen God move. You've seen him show up. You've seen him give love to you and your family. God wants us to be witnesses of what God has done in our life. Now, witnessing is always going to be opposed. People will always stand against witnessing. What happens in this story? People hear them witness, and they're like, these guys are drunk. These guys are idiots. What is going on? People will always hate witnessing. I remember when I was in Ireland, um, there was an ambulance going by, and there was this old lady walking in front of me. And as the ambulance drove by, like with this loud, blaring siren, she looked at the ambulance with such disgust, just like, 
How dare they save people? They're loud. That's, that's kind of what the, the vibe I was getting from her was. And that's how a lot of people are with witnessing. They see us going. They see people in schools saying, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And they're like, that's so dumb. That's so stupid. That's so annoying. But don't, don't talk about your faith. Don't talk about the Lord. Just shut up and just live like everyone else does. Just fly under the radar and try not to be awkward. You're being awkward is how people will make you feel when you share your faith. But you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. Because we have the words of life, the words that give people power, the words that save people's souls if they believe them. That's worth it to spread that. Now, on the flip side, I would say don't be a freak, okay? Like, don't be the guy who's like, or the girl, who just like, you know, someone turns over in class and they're like, hey, uh, I'm working on problem seven in the math sheet, What's the answer? And you're just like, the answer is Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. Like, don't, like, that's weird. Don't, like, I, I sometimes as Christians, we can be weird. Like, I remember, um, you know, I was walking to church last week, and a bee flew up to me, like, did that thing where it was, like, like right in my ear, and I literally, like, jumped and did, like, a spin move and was, like, like that. And just because I, I hate bees, and it freaked me out. And I was literally, like, tripping out and, like, spinning around. And then I stopped spinning around, and I look, and my old gym coach is sitting in his truck just staring at me, like, with a disappointed look on his face, like, I always knew you would never amount to anything except a guy who gets afraid of bees. Why did I tell that story? Here's why. As Christians, a lot of times we can be weird. Like, we can just be weird Christians where we're just so legalistic, so uptight, just constantly judging people and hyper-spiritualizing everything. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be people who live in our world, live on our culture, but find creative and passionate and powerful ways to bring Jesus into the conversation so that people hear Jesus in their own context and are rescued. Here's, let, me, let me go through this further, and I'm going to talk about the gift of tongues in a minute. To talk about kind of how I see this playing out, how we can reach people. Let's, let's talk about the gift of tongues. Leif covered in the spiritual gift series, the gift of tongues. Now, the gift of tongues, it, it means basically not literal, just like tongues wagging. It's talking about languages, okay? The gift of languages. Now, there's two forms of the gift of tongues that we see in the Bible. One is people speaking other languages, the other is people speaking a heavenly language, so talking to God in a language that normal people can't understand, but God understands it. But here's the reality. Some Christians, unfortunately, place way too much emphasis on the gift of tongues, and the, like, here, here, I'll give you an example of that. I was watching a video online that was on YouTube, and it was, um, I'm not sure what denomination he was in, but it was this pastor, and the video was entitled, um, markings of the spirit. So I'm like, oh sweet, it's a video about the Holy Spirit and like how you know you have the spirit. So he pulls up this video and he's going through this same passage we're learning and he goes over, I think verse four and he's like, okay, or verse three, and he's like, okay, so see, they were filled with the spirit and then they spoke in tongues. Therefore, speaking in tongues is the main way that you know that you have the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. And he was saying, if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. Now, Here's the problem with that. The problem with that is, one, the Bible tells us 
what the evidence of the Spirit is. It's the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Like, if you see an apple tree, the evidence that shows you it's an apple tree is that it grows apples, correct? In the same way, the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that you have God's Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. If you're here and you've never spoken in tongues, you need to know that if you have evidence of those fruits in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if those things are in your life, that's evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. Now, to be honest with you, I've never spoken in tongues, ever. Some of you guys here may have spoken in tongues. That's amazing. That's incredible that God has given you that gift. I think that's awesome. I love that. To me, though, I've never done it. It's a real thing that happens all the time. Like, the gifts of the Spirit are not dead. There's some Christians who think that the gifts of the Spirit don't happen anymore, that people don't prophesy, people don't speak in tongues, people don't heal people. I've seen people get healed. I've never healed anybody, but I've seen people get healed. I've never spoken in tongues, but I've seen people do it, and I think it's amazing. But it hasn't happened to me. And I've prayed. I'm like, God, it'd be so cool if I could speak in tongues. Hasn't happened yet. But here's the thing. I know I have the Spirit in me. And I hope that you would look at me and know that I have the Spirit in me. Pete Denham's another example. He's a guy that I know and love. I was talking to him about this. He's never spoken in tongues. But there's, there's something about Pete where when I'm with him, I can tell that the Holy Spirit's with him. I remember last year at camp. Remember last year at camp, that last night at camp where Pete was playing worship? And it, it was going on for so long. Pete was just playing, and then Pete would stop playing, and, and, and he would start talking. And I remember all you guys were sitting there on the floor and just listening to Pete share from the Holy Spirit what God had put on his heart. And then after that, uh, Pete got up and got to play, and we just kept worshiping. And I remember it was such a joyful time. It was such a loving time. It was a time where I was looking at everyone, and I was like, everyone here loves one another crazy. There's no division. There's no hurt feelings. Like, everyone here just wants to praise Jesus and love one another. That was evidence of the Holy Spirit. I think the pastor in the video misses the point of what tongues are even for. You see, God has a purpose for the gift of tongues. And again, if you've spoken in the gift of tongues, that's amazing. Let's talk afterwards, because I think that's great, and I'd love to see that kind of stuff happen more in our churches, because honestly, Calvary Chapel is a church movement where a lot of times that kind of stuff doesn't really happen. We don't really emphasize it that much, and so I think because of that lack of emphasis, we don't really give room to it, like I said earlier. That's something I'm guilty of, even in the youth group. Like, I've never really opened it up and said, hey, let's have a moment where if anyone wants to speak in tongues, they can. So I'm part of the problem. So that's something God's teaching me. God has a purpose for the gift of tongues, though. It's one, to glorify him, and two, it's to help draw others to him. This is a guy named David. David is this lovely old man that I met in uh, England for something called Creation Fest. And it's this big conference all over that people come to. And David is a guy, he's a former British military man. He's a husband, a father, a grandfather. He's a Catholic man who married an Anglican woman. And most of all, he's a lover of Jesus Christ. That's what it says on his hat. It says, I love Jesus. And I was chatting with him, and he was just sharing with me all these stories, and I was just so blessed. I love talking to people outside of my own church, a part of the bigger body of Christ. It's so fun, and it's so exciting to, to see other people who follow Jesus. So here's a guy who's followed Jesus his whole life through, through wars and through crazy things, 
And he was sharing with me about this one time where um, he got asked to speak at a funeral for one of his family members. It was like a family member's uh, like distant relative. And this guy that died was Danish. So the family that gathered there was Danish. Like most of them were Danish. I don't know where Danish people are from. Daneland? Denmark, thank you. Okay, that makes sense. Don't make fun of me, okay? Or you can. I understand. I, yeah. Anyway, just make fun of me. That's fine. Anyway, so this guy, people from Denmark there, and they're mourning the death of the family member. And then they ask this guy to get up and say a few words. So he gets up and he starts sharing. And then he feels called to sing a hymn, which is an old worship song. So he sings this old worship song. And then he gets off the stage. One of the Danish people came up to him, and they were like, I didn't know you knew how to sing in Danish. And he's like, I, I don't. And they're like, but you just sang that hymn in Danish. And David was just like, huh, crazy. Like, God is crazy. And God, that was him in that moment singing in tongues. He didn't even know he was doing it. He was just, he got up to the stage, and he felt like God said, sing this hymn. So he sang it, and to him, he thought he was singing it in English, but he sang it in another language. And through that, the people in the audience were blessed, and they were like, whoa, that's crazy. Like, maybe Jesus is real. That's incredible. Now, the point was not that this guy was singing in tongues. The point was he was understood, and people were drawn to God. Did you catch that? The point was not that he was just singing in tongues for the sake of singing in tongues. The point was that he was singing in a way that people could be understood, and that drew people to God. I'm going to ask Micah and Brantz to come up, and um, we're going to begin to close in a little bit of worship as I wrap up. But here's, here's the thing I want to close with. The point in the story is not that they were speaking in tongues just for the sake of speaking in tongues. The point was God used that so that they can be heard and understood. Think about that. God is a missionary. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. God wants his message to be heard. Do you have the faith that you could go to another country and say, God, I'm in Uganda. Please speak through me, and you could open up your mouth, and God could actually allow you to speak another language. It's possible. It happens all the time. God does these things. Now, let's think about really quick, not, um, not thinking about other languages, right, like French or German or, you know, whatever. Let's think about being understood, being understood. I think there's probably a lot of people in your schools who don't even understand what Christianity is. I think there's probably a lot of people in your neighborhoods, people in your class, people in your life who just, they don't know who Jesus is or what Jesus is about. They have no idea. Like, how many of you guys know what uh, Christianese is? Christianese is all those words that we use. You know, hey, man, how you doing, brother? Oh, I'm so blessed. Hashtag blessed. Okay, someone who's not a Christian, they don't know what that means. The early church in this story, they allowed God to speak through them in a way that could be understood. Are you talking about Jesus in a way that can be understood? When I went to Limerick, which is a town in Ireland, I, I ran into this group of teenagers, about 15 of them, and God said, speak to them. Go talk to them. Go share the gospel. 
And so I went to them and I was like, hey guys, I'm a Christian. And I shared my story. Three homeless people come to me and say, go to Ireland. And they were like, that's amazing. And I was like, okay, that's my story. I can leave now or we can keep talking. And they were like, let's keep talking. So we talked for about an hour and they were asking questions. They're like, does God hate gay people? That was one of their questions. A lot of them were gay. They were like, does God hate me if I sin? If God's so loving, why are there bad things that happen in the world? And I just talked to them like they were humans. You know, I didn't preach at them. I didn't get out my Bible and say, well, let me tell you what it says in Isaiah. You're all sinners and you're going to hell. That's, that's, not, that's not what God led me to do. I just talked to them. And at the end of the conversation, they were like, you know what? Pretty much every Christian in this town that we've met is a jerk. And they've just told us, you're going to hell, stupid teenagers. Repent. That's all they've ever heard. They told me that when, when we talked, that was the first time that a Christian had shown them and, and shown them love and viewed them as a human being, which broke my heart. And I asked them at the, at the end of the conversation, do any of you want to receive the Lord? And eight of them were like, yeah, let's do this. And we prayed. And it was so cool. And, and now I, I communicate with them through this Instagram group. I'm still in contact with them. I'm praying with them. I want to see them follow Jesus and do well, pray for them. Pray for the kids in Limerick. They've got a long road ahead. It's tough. They've got no youth group or pastor like you guys do out there. They're just following Jesus on their own. Guys, how many of you are showing up to school and saying, God, use me as your mouthpiece. Speak through me. Allow me to show my friends what Jesus looks like, what a Christian looks like, what love looks like, what the gospel looks like. I'm just going to pray and then we'll worship because that's all I got. Jesus, we love you. God, I pray for these students that you would fill them with your missionary spirit, a spirit that desires to go into the world and preach the gospel. God, I pray that just like these men and women in the book of Acts had tongues of fire, which is not a tongue that's on fire, but it's a tongue that's been loosened a tongue that's not bound up, but a tongue that is just open to sharing the gospel, a mouth that will speak. God, there's some students here who don't have the gift of tongues in the sense that their mouths are not open. They don't speak for you. They don't share because they're scared. They're fearful of how they'll be judged by their friends. There's even people here who go to a Christian school and feel like if they talk about their love for Jesus, they'll be rejected. God, I pray for anyone here that wants the gift of speech, the gift of evangelism, the gift of sharing your good news. God, if they want it, I pray right now as they worship and as they pray to you that you would give them that gift. Let your spirit fall on them and give them the ability to share the good news. We love you, Jesus, and we ask all this in your name. Amen.